Hey guys, welcome to the Bagna Broadcast, episode number 488. Starting that slow crawl to 500. I'm Chris. <laughs> I'm John. And I'm Paul. And we're a weekly podcast that comes to you in three ways. The first being The Week in Geek, bringing you the top geek stories of the past week. Next is the list of comic books that we're looking forward to coming out July 20th, 2022. Then we follow that up with our weekly rotating main topic, and this week we're bringing you our trade and policy, where we take a look at a trade paperback or original graphic novel, and this week we're going to be talking about The Sandman, Volume 1, Preludes and Nocturnes, by Neil Gaiman and Sam Keith. Hmm. Uh, yeah. From, like- from DC Comics, I mean Vertigo Comics, I mean DC Comics, because... Black Label? This thing has changed in prints over the years. Uh, but something that never changes is our love of beer. And, Paul, what are you drinking? Yes, I, you know, am, I'm pulling in through that uh, summertime uh, need of just having stuff, um, fridge fillers going on at all times. And these variety packs that they've been coming out with have been a fun way to fill my fridge. A uh, fun way to uh, have something to drink all weekend long, and then by s- Sunday night being like, oh, I guess this is the last one. Uh, <laughs> so I picked up uh, a new variety pack that I haven't seen on the shelves yet before, and this is uh, the Sierra Nevada Sunny Little Things pack, or the Sierra Nevada Little Things pack. It's a 12-pack, um, all p- doing with their little things, which I thought was just their session ale. So they have no, a new Eng- they have a New England a double, uh, the sour the strawberry uh-huh. sour and then new this year is the sunny little thing. Mm. Okay, so this these all little things are normally available, or is this only in this variety pack? Normally available. Okay. This was the first time that the sunny little things came out, and it came out only in. The variety pack, and then shortly after, it came out into six packs. Okay. Well, right now, I am drinking the Sunny Little Thing, which is their citrus wheat ale at 5% alcohol by volume. And I'm getting a little... I'm taking a little while to get acclimated, because I really should have just talked about uh, the Wild Little Thing. Which, you know what? I'm just going to talk about that right now. And it's their Slightly Sour Ale, which is 5.5. It's got guava, because guava's in everything. Oh, it's in everything. Because... Hibiscus and, ah, hibiscus. hibiscus and strawberry. The strawberry note's huge on this. Like, this is a nice strawberry, slightly sour, tart strawberry. Uh, I, like, when I opened this up and took a sip, I'm like, wow, this is, this is really nice and fun. It's strawberry with something, something like melony. Now I realize it was guava. I, I took Can't get away from it. I took that journey the whole time, and the whole time the guava was within the camp. Um... Yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed uh, Wild Little little Thing. So, and you're saying this is also in a six-pack? You can get that in a six-pack. That might be something fun to drink during the disc golfing, you know? Yeah. No, it's, an, it's, an, it's a nice drinking beer. Um, I think they, when it first came out, it was just strawberry and it wasn't with the uh, guava. Mm-hmm. So I think they might have played around with the recipe a little bit. Um I think because I remember thinking it was kind of meh the first time I had ah. it, and then I had it not too long ago, and I was like, "Oh yeah, this is nice." You know how sometimes like you get a like a cocktail mix, you know, not a cocktail mix, but a, a, a fruit juice, and like when you get a pure just one 
100% of one fruit juice, you're like, this doesn't taste quite right. It, it doesn't feel as full. And then you get that, like, cocked, you know, the cheap knockoff of that thing. And it's a blend of juices that's 100% juice. And then you're like, oh, yeah, this is this tastes right. And you notice that it's, one like, mostly pear juice. And you're like, huh, it doesn't taste like pear, but that pear adds something to it. I'm thinking the guava. Pairing the pear with the guava. Yeah. It's a, it's a perfect pairing. Yeah, yeah. It's like a perfect pairing. The strawberry with the guava, I think, adds that little bit of roundness to the back end of it, the strawberry tartness. You know? I'm, I'm thinking that they might help. That, that's what it is. Um, Chris, I have, um, just to follow up on what you were talking about, I actually have some cartons of, like, guava, like, concentrate, mm. like, nectar, because they were on sale, like, buy one, get one free, and I was like, two cartons of guava nectar, what am I going to do with this? Uh, I've literally just been putting in everything. Like, yep. anytime I make a drink, I just add a splash to it just to yeah. add that little tropical flavor. Um, but the beer that I'm drinking does not need any kind of splash of anything to it. Um, a couple weeks ago, I had talked about how producer Scott's coming down to Orlando, so I was going on like a beer journey for him, uh-huh. trying to get him some beers from local Orlando breweries. Uh, he's officially here now, this week. Um, I'll be meeting up with him in a couple days, and I've been carefully curating my own like four packs to bring to him. So today I stopped by two local Orlando breweries, um, Ellipsis Brewing and Broken Strings Brewing. And I've gotten a lot of like weird out there stuff. So I was just trying to like rein it a little bit, get him some more, like kind of more base styles. So from Ellipsis, I got him and am now also drinking their uh, fully functional triple New England IPA. And this is a triple IPA brewed with Eldorado hops, Citra, Motica, and Amarillo, and Sativa, uh, sitting high at 10% ABV. Uh, again, in our pre-show talk, I had talked about how, yeah, I had gone to two breweries today, so I drank a lot, so I'm probably going to be taking it a little bit easier today. Taking it easy means I'm just going to be drinking this one 10% beer for the duration of the show until we get a little bit further in and I finish it, and I'm like, I can have another one. Um, but this just has a wonderful, nice, tropical citrus pop right up on the front end of it. And then after you finish taking your sip, that's when that like hot bitter rolls in over your tongue. It's a perfect blending of everything. Um, absolutely fantastic. It's definitely like a super hazy New England IPA. It looks just like I poured some uh, sun-kissed orange juice into my glass. But, man... It hides that 10% very, very well. John, yeah. uh, you were also holding up something that looks super hazy. So what super, do you have? Super hazy. Uh, I'm drinking from Other Half Brewery. This is their 11-pounders 11, 11 double dry hopped IPA coming in at 5.9%. And this is the basically the single IPA version of their... Um, one of their flagship beers, Mylar Bags, uh, named after the bag that the hops come in. Mm. Uh, and then also, uh, this is called Eleven Pounders because the Mylar Bags that the hops come in are in 11-pound increments. Mm. So, uh, really nice, really nice to be able to drink th- this pound, like, poundable a let like 
New England IPA and the fact that it's only 5.8 instead of 8.9%. And I'm just (laughs) taking it down. Uh, It's nice that I'm not going to get loopy for how easy this beer drinks. Um, Yeah, it's nice. It has a little bit of hot bitter. It's nice and juicy. This is a great drinking beer. If you could get this like... It is ten ninety nine or eleven ninety nine, like six pack beer. This would be like one of my go tos because it's that nice and even going kind of a beer. It's I think it's sixteen ninety nine for the four pack Tall Boys, but you're getting it because it like you're paying that price because of the amount of hops and the hops that they're using. Uh, but no, this is nice. Good. That sounds good. I, I'll, yeah. I'll take a look for it. Yeah. Keep my eye out on those Mylar bags. Mylar bags. Well, this is called 11 Pounders. 11 Pounders. Oh, with Mylar bags as the... Is the double version of this beer. Uh, so I want the 11 Pounders. If you're looking for a close to sessionable yeah. uh, other half beer. Yeah, that sounds that sounds right up my alley. Yeah. And you know what else is right up at Paul's alley? The News Garden. Ah, oh, the News Gardens, guys. Uh, I, I feel like we're attending the News Garden, and we, we might have reaped too much in during the last episode. And uh, there's not much news this week. But, no, I, but I, we are going to go out to Paul's trailer bush and check it out. <laughs> what, what are the trailers? Where do they come from? They grow on a tree? tree. Or the yeah, trailer, trailer patch? <laughs> no, the, that's a casting patch. Oh, because okay. it's like cabbage, cabbage patch. Casting patch, cabbage patch. No, we go out to the trailer tree. Or the... the Is it the trailer tree? That doesn't sound right. I don't think that's ever been a thing. No. What, Paul's not even sure. I don't know. Even. <laughs> I would think it would be trailer... What people missed is Paul said trailer tree and then looked off... Looks off camera, off mic, and he's trying to decide that's not right, but... I don't know what he's looking at. Yeah. I'm thinking of, like, maybe he's, some He's trellises. looking at the tree. He's looking at the tree outside his window, like... Could I pick a trailer off of that? No, no, no. They trailers would have to grow on trellises. So let's go out to the trellises where we where, no. where we where we tie no. up our we tie really up don't like no, the trellis. No, the trailer that's stuff. not no? that's not working. No, okay. Whatever it was before, it worked. I don't think we have. And it. you know what I think works <laughs> is a Netflix original movie star- starring Snoop Dogg and Jamie Fox called Day Shift, where Jamie Foxx plays a vampire killer who's been drummed out of, like, the vampire killer union, but now has to come back because he needs to make money, otherwise his wife and daughter are leaving him. Holy shit, guys, this movie looks like a hell of a lot of fun. And when I originally heard of it, I was like, okay, like, that sounds cool. I would watch that. Guys, no. The trailer's like, no, I need to watch this. Um, It's that sweet spot of comedy and horror that I really like. And I'm getting like Shaun of the Dead, like John Carpenter's vampires. I was going to say John Carpenter's vampires, but I was, I was thinking like from dusk till dawn, just like Mm, a fun vampire killing movie. And I think it's been like far too long since I've had one of those. Well, it's the guys from John wick, bud. And they make a good action movie. So wait, so I didn't uh, really. I, I had to play in the background here, kind of pay, half paying attention to it uh, while we were talking. Um, so in this world, 
do other people know there's vampires or is it kind of hush hush secret secret because it seemed like he's going in as a cleaner i think it's hush hush secret secret but there are people that know and Uh that's like their blue collar job and also Snoop dog is dressed as a cowboy and dave franco's in it too so like why not yeah yeah it it looks it looks a lot of fun yeah, I think we've been talking about Netflix for a while now, and more recently, just all the struggles that they've been having. But I think this is the kind of thing that Netflix needs to be doing, just fun, interesting movies or TV shows, just to like get people interested, get them excited, get them talking about it. Because when I go to work, well... I'm working at a different location tomorrow, but when I go to work on Thursday, man, I'm talking to everybody about the trailer for Day Shift. Like, can, have you seen this? Oh my god, can you believe this? It's a hell of a lot of fun. I was very interested uh, after seeing the trailer for the Adam Project for Netflix, and now Adam that I- Project looks good, and I haven't sat down to yeah. watch that one yet. It's on my list of things to watch when I'm home alone and I just want to have something to put on. Mm-hmm. And that's my thing with Netflix is, like, there's so many shows and everything like that that I'm always afraid that it just hits the queue and then I never actually watch it. Like, I just put it on my list and, like, oh, yeah, that's there. Eh, not not the right time. And I just keep on passing by. Uh, yeah, I think that's what streaming services are good for. <laughs> just adding things to your queue. Just adding things to your queue. never... Watching. Never the intent. Oh, yeah, I really want to see that. I'll add it to my queue. I'm never going to watch that. But I'm going to go back and watch uh, The Office 97 times. I'm going to watch this movie that I've seen a million times before. That's what it's for. Possibly we might be getting some news from Netflix in this uh, upcoming Comic-Con. Comic-Con's happening this weekend. Um, probably why we don't have a lot of other stuff to talk about. Yeah, we're recording on Tuesday, uh, the twelfth. Comic Con, I believe, starts. Is there a, is there a preview night for Wednesday? I, I feel like it's and still like Thursday. preview on Wednesday, and then Thursday, Friday, Friday Saturday, Saturday, Sunday. And this podcast will be releasing on Sunday. So yeah, comic book news is happening. We're just not aware of it. Uh, all I want to talk about with Comic-Con, I think it's interesting that Warner Brothers isn't going to actually have a DC booth there, but they're going to have, like, panels. So they're going to talk about their top, their TV shows, their movies coming out while at Comic-Con. And I'm kind of kind of sad about that because, you know what, I enjoy the DC fandom. You know I mean... I, I love the fandom except for people getting lost in the void. Like that's my only <laughs> concern. Like hopefully at Comic Con this year they have a uh, in memory of people that have gone missing. Like the next two Fantastic Beast movies, <laughs> the Ezra Miller Flash movie. You know those we lost <clears throat> along the way. The that's, that's, a- AOL has anyone seen that? <laughs> Warner Brothers. Hello. No, they well now we got to discover them with discovery. Time Warner. Yeah, who would have thought they were like the money maker behind everything all along? Like that's the secret final boss when you finally beat Warner the the Warner Brothers. There's Discovery, you know. They they have all eight kids now working. They're all of working age from John and Katie plus eight. They're just raking in that income for them. (laughs) 
Uh, but yeah, it looks like all the big boys are coming back for Comic-Con this year. Um, so hopefully we'll get some big news coming out of it because it feels like we had that kind of cable versus streaming service attitude taken to Comic-Con where everybody was like, well, no, we're just going to do our own thing. Like We're going to step mm-hmm. away from everybody else. And we saw that also with E3 where companies started to leave and it's like, no, we're not going to do E3 anymore. Like We're going to have our own side mm-hmm. palette because then the focus is all just on us. Like, Nintendo Direct, you know, like your D twenty three, you know, like all of that kind of stuff. Companies are big enough now where they don't have to have Comic Con as that launching ground for anything that they want to talk about. I still think I, I still enjoy the Comic Cons and like a D twenty three, you know, a week uh, uh, the Star Wars celebration, a weekend where I'm just like, hey, I got to really pay attention. I really, this is the weekend that I want to be like checking my Twitter, checking uh, social media, checking uh, the websites, uh, downloading the newest episode of the Bagnum Boardcast so I can hear what, you know, my, what my, you know, uh, people that I follow, my online friends are talking about. Like, I like having that kind of gravity well mm-hmm. of everything's included th- during this time. Like, when it's smaller events, like, Nintendo Direct, the the Nintendo what is it Treehouse Nintendo Direct, whatever it's called, um, like I kind of forget that's happening, you know, and I, it's like oh, this was announced and this was announced. When was that announced? Oh, two weeks ago when that happened, and I'm like oh okay. John, is your next beer made out of battery acid? Because you had like a big physical oh, reaction my to it. Okay. <laughs> Lucky Caitlin. I uh, I clenched my hand. <laughs> I. I clench my jaw a lot, and today I I usually chew gum to keep myself from clenching it, and I didn't do that today. And my at this point of the day, my jaws is really killing me. Uh, but back to it, Paul. I thank you, thank you for allowing me you're, to have jaw welcome. pain. You're welcome. You should probably drink more. Um, but Paul, I get what you're saying. Where it's nice to have that big event, but I understand these companies just being like. No, why would we want to share the stage with somebody else? Because as soon as we announce this thing, somebody else is going to be announcing something in the next conference hall or stage over that's competing for that news story. Yep. Yeah, see, where I don't think like with Comic-Con and stuff like that, it's competing. It's like, hey, everybody's now has their eyes on all of us and we get to announce and drop the trailers. It's not like there's that much new... Even if they split off and did their own thing, like Blizzard with their BlizzCon and Nintendo Direct. Like... Disney with the There's, the what, D23. four or five trailers? Like, maybe for, for each one of those? Yeah. Like, at least with... But as as a fan, it's it's also easier for me to pay attention to that one thing... Mm-hmm. Than it is everything coming out of like an E3 or a Comic Con. So I, that's all. That's what my only okay. point is like I, I get the company stepping away from that, just saying, be like, no, like we don't have to try to pad out like three days worth of announcements and panels because we can just do everything in an afternoon, you know. That's true, but but something you can do in the afternoon. Just drink your next beer, but go out and buy comic books. Which one are we doing? I don't know. I thought you and oh, I, yeah. I, I, I got beers. 
Are we I, not? I know Chris is still. He's got a giant mug that he's still drinking his ten percent out of. It. I have the uh, Sunny. I talked about it earlier. It's the Citrus Wheat Ale, five percent uh, from Sierra Nevada. It's okay. It's decent. It's 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 so light. Uh, the citrus. The citrus nice is it. really nice, it's, on it, but it's not. After having that sour with that strawberry tart, and boom, right there, the citrus was lighter. It it kind of. It was nice. It's good. I, I do want to drink it like on its own. I need that to be my first beer, I think. Because now it's... Well, it's, listeners, it's been over an hour. We've recorded two podcasts already. Um, by the time I opened it and finished it, I have moved on to yet another beer. So I'm talking about beers that I'm behind on. Uh, I, I'm the sunny little thing. I'm not upset by, but I'm not wowed by either. So, but I'll give it another shot. I have two more chances to like it. I I had that beer on tap and was wowed by it. Like I wasn't I ordered it thinking it was a different beer from Sierra Nevada. And then when it came and I looked at it, I went, "Oh. I ordered the their wheat beer." And then I took a sip and I was like, "Hey, I this is a this is nice. This is refreshing." Uh, the citrus, I thought, really popped on it. And I can see where going from yeah. a sour to then that wheat beer is totally going to just... Gonna just, yeah, just it, comp- it tried to compete. It's totally going to ruin your, your palate. Um, so I could see... Yeah. Try it again. Let me know when I you have it heard again. about like an amber Hefeweizen. That sounds so much better than just a citrus wheat beer. You know, I'm just saying... Just saying, uh, you know, maybe there's no, something else out there that I should try. There, there's always something else out there. And Paul's speaking about a beer that I had sent to our group chat that I had at Broken Strings Brewery, where it was a Amber Hefeweizen. And, I mean, I don't want to tip my hand too much, but depending on how benevolent producer Scott's feeling, <laughs> there there may be cans coming to you guys of that. <laughs> Because <laughs> because there are there uh, are two cans of that packed up, and the uh, instructions are going to be: Hey, if you want to share this with John and Paul, there you go. But you know, if it gets lost in transit, <laughs> it, it is what it is. Also, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna text him and be like, I <laughs> "That's what I was going to say." I was going to be like, "Okay, we can place <laughs> odds. We can, the rules are: we can't text him that we know. We can't tell him that we know he has it. What are the odds that we get it?" I like this game because um, the other can is going to be um, the Broken Strings uh, Liquid Vinyl, their black IPA. So, you get it, you get it. If not, what, you think bl- blame Scott. 70% that we get it? 30% that we don't? I mean, I think Scott was giving it to us. Hmm. But he will have a moment in some state that he may be in and go... I'm just going to drink these. I mean, he's What's... getting like 20 beers, <laughs> so I don't know if... Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. On the on the road back, he's going to be like, you know what, I drank this one, I'm going to take these other two. 90%. But we'll see. We'll see. You guys are in the I, game. I, I think <coughs> there is a... I think there is definitely a, a, uh, a scientific measurable percentage chance that he gives us just one of each beer for us to split between the two of us. 
I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Play, I'm not trying to diss him at all. No, I'm just saying that sometimes you get beer and you kind of like, oh, I'll, I'll share that with my friends, and then it's like there, and you're like, well, it has been three weeks. It's probably not any good anymore. I'm going to drink it. So the game's going to be. I'm not going to tell him. I told you guys about <laughs> yeah. this. The, the game will be. We'll see what he does, and you can you can get back to us on the show. Yeah, uh, dear listener, stay tuned. So 85% chance that we get both beers. I think it's I think it's with Scott, I think it would be very high that he would give it to us. And again, yes. I think it would be that moment where Scott's had a couple beers and is like uh I'll have this and then like later he'll be like, "Oh no, I drank it." Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's it's a percent. Yeah. So that's what? 2% so you're saying ninety eight? I think so. I think nine. I think ninety five percent. Ninety five. Okay, so I'm saying that I'm going to say that ninety five percent we get both get the beers, and then there's a ninety nine percent chance that we get one. Yeah, I, I, I to split between yeah. us. I think <laughs> so. There's I think it's going to be uh, we either he had the amber, didn't like it, so we definitely get those. Or he had the black IPA and he drank all of those. And just yeah. gave us the amber. Something like that. Uh, but I'm drinking from Dog Fish Head and Trillium Brewery. Uh, this is True Action IPA. 6.5% IPA. Uh, this is continually dry hopped in the dogfish fashion. And um, this is a small batch collab with, uh, with Trillium, as I said. Um, and this has very old school dogfish head IPA up front, a mm. little bit of that sweet malt, and then the rest of your palate is kind of washed with that New Englandy kind of mango beer. It's odd because right up front you're like, huh, hmm, and every sip is like that. You keep getting this. I don't think I'm going to like this kind of candied malt taste. Oh, it's good. And it keeps just, like, tricking you. Uh, It's not bad. I would drink this again if somebody gave it to me. I wouldn't actively seek this beer out. Um, I think maybe maybe Bargatory, if it's the only thing on tap, I would get it. Um, But, yeah. But... Guys, what books are we looking for to coming out July 20th, 2022? So, guys, I'm falling into the dark crisis hole from over at DC Comics. Um, I wish I could follow you in that hole by reading your books. (laughs) If only. Um, I really enjoyed the Dark Crisis Zero and then number one when we read that for the look back. Um, I picked up Dark Crisis number two, and while some of the books have been hit or miss, one of like the spin-off books that's actually been a hit for me is Dark Crisis Young Justice. And I'm actually looking forward to number two coming out this week, written by Megan Fitzmartin, art by Laura Braga. And this is actually a tale about the characters you know and love from the early 2000s, Young Justice. So your Connell Superboy, your Tim Drake Robin, Bart Allen like Kid Flash, actually 
you know, trying to recover from the loss of the Justice League, but then getting sent back in time to the time when Young Justice was the comic book that you remember it being, and then kind of be like, whoa, this is weird. We're back at this time frame. Oh, what did we do at this point to get out of the situation? Oh, we got to do this. It's super meta and super fun. Like, I really enjoyed the first issue um, much more than the uh, Dark Crisis Teen Justice, which was like a multiversity take on Young Justice and Teen Titans with different versions of uh, those characters that I thought I was going to like but did not. But this is just what I liked about these characters back during the early 2000s. And it's kind of like when DC did those like one shots a few years ago. I can't remember if it was spinning out of um, Final Crisis or something where it was like the the one shot that was like, hey, it's Green Lantern in the early 90s. And it was all written by... Oh, yeah, the... Um, the- the creators that were doing it. Yeah, like, like they did like a Teen Titans night. by like Marv Wolfman. Like it was in that vein, right right alongside this. Um, it's kind of paying homage to what came before, but an updated take on it. And Young Justice is definitely scratching that itch. So you're a fan of these characters or that book from, you know, 2005? Yeah, check this out because it's a hell of a lot of fun. John, can we agree that that sounds like the X Factor book of the week? No. What, why not? That He's saying it's when the book was good. It's going back to the when the book yeah, but was good. Wh- when we read Nightwing, I didn't think, oh, this is the X-Factor book of the week. Plus, we haven't heard your pick, Paul. <laughs> okay. Your pick will be most likely the X-Factor <laughs> pick of the week. What's your book, Paul? My book is a celebration of uh, all the Star Wars timelines. And that is Star Wars num- uh, issue number 25. It's going to be, uh, we're going to get some stories from Obi-Wan and Anakin, Darth Vader, Poe Dameron, and Kylo Ren. So it's going to be throughout the the history of Star Wars, uh, all the different sagas. And uh, all written by Charles Soule, and, but with all the different artists that he's worked on while he's worked on this book. So, Paul, would you say this is a good jumping-on point? I'm saying it's a good one-shot to pick up. But it's in regular continuity. It's in there. It's in the regular yeah. continuity. Yeah, but it's telling stories out of This sounds the like Paul's X, X-Factor Pick of the Week. <laughs> this sounds like an X-Factor Pick of the Week. <laughs> it's the X-Factor Book of the Week. Oh, sorry, I, I couldn't. I couldn't reach it on, on the uh, the trailer on, if, tree over if gonna, here. If you're going to make fun of me, make fun of me the right way. I deserve some modicum of respect. No, you don't. No, John, what's your book? Uh, my book uh, is DC versus Vampires All Out War Number One. John Constantine is the leader of the last secret underground human city. And he is teaming up with Booster Gold, Deathstroke, Mary Marvel, Deadman, Azrael's in this, Bane's in this, and they're going to all-out war against the vampires. I've been enjoying these books. They've been fun takes on this. It's kind of um, Paul really or uh, Chris really enjoyed the uh, uh, the deceased 
the DC Zombie Taken. I've been enjoying these books. Even the Harley Quinn one was kind of fun. Um, I do feel like I need to... DC vs. Vampires is an actual series that maybe I should read, because I keep reading all the other books around it. Uh, but, uh, no, I'm looking forward to this. I, it's It's been fun. That's it's all you can ask for in your comic books. You just want something to be fun. Much like a dramatic reading. And now, a dramatic reading from Sandman, Volume 1. Page 59, panel 6. Yes, you do. Uh, bo- both of us do. Our letters of commission, rem- remember? They, uh, they uh, have his, his, his signature on them. He m- m- made them. It was a dramatic reading from Sandman, Volume 1, page 59. Panel six. Wow. Guys, you got another beer to talk about. I've been drinking no. the. Uh... Okay. <laughs> no, okay. Oh. <laughs> no, the go hazy ahead, little thing. Yeah, the hazy uh, little thing, uh, thing IPA, and this is a uh, six point seven percent. It's decent. Um, it's more West Coasty. It's it's not big pithy grapefruit. It's more resiny. Uh, on the IPA, which is what I've been kind of looking for. I picked up Sierra Nevada. I want something that's big, hoppy, um, resiny, piney. Uh, this isn't giving me piney. This is just giving me like a, a resin kind of flavor to it. So, you know, it's it's okay. I, I didn't pour it out. It neither smells nor, from what I can tell, looks hazy. But I didn't pour it out into a can, so I don't know. Does it smell hazy, though? It smells hazy. Does it look hazy? Uh, I'm drinking from Community Beer Works their Blueberry Wheat Beer. Uh, If you're from the Buffalo area, Ellicottville Brewery is famous for their blueberry wheat. They've kind of run the, the blueberry wheat market here. And Buffalo. They're the Blueberry Boys. The Blueberry Boys. Um, Excuse me. Um, But this is actually a really nice blueberry wheat beer. The blueberry is a lot more forward on it. You get a little bit better of a blueberry than you do on the Ellicottville one. The Ellicottville one also is transparent. You can see through it. It's supposed to be a wheat beer, but it's... Kind of drinks more like an ale. It's filtered. Um, this is got a, you know, it's got a a little bit of more of a cloudiness to it. It's got kind of a bluish purplish hue. Um, does it, Chris? It does. <laughs> okay. <See> it? <laughs> uh, even the head's got little, kind of a little bit of a, a hint of color to it, but. This it's this is nice. I had it uh, as a sample uh, at the brewery, um, and I have the can of it, and it's it's nice. Five point nine, easy drinking summer beer. Yes, would I pour it pour it in my glass and add blueberries to it like you would at Ellicottville? No, because even at Ellicottville, I probably wouldn't get the blueberries. But they just do it for you. Yeah. They don't even ask. 
Which is like just part of the part of the presentation. Yeah. Like I don't think it needs those blueberries in it, but it's just kind of like a fun little. It doesn't. It's like the the orange slice in a blue moon. Like you know what's fun about the blueberries though, is that they'll float naturally, but when they get enough bubbles like to wrap around the blueberry, it'll then sink, mm. and then the bubbles will uh, dissipate off the blueberry, and then it'll come back up to the top of the drink. So it's they're constantly sinking and going back. And back up. It's like a lava lamp experience. No, it's like with a the submarine when you add the baking soda to it and it oh, yeah, sinks yeah. and then it goes back up. Uh-huh. I got that in a yeah. cereal box once. I, I just recently saw that in an ad while eating at the Bayliner Diner or whatever it was called inside of the cat the uh, Cabana Bay. Mm. Oh, what was it? I think it was Bayliner Diner. I think yeah. that's what it's called. Yeah, that was great times. I really enjoyed it. Much like. I always like talking about comic books in our main topic. Like we said up at the front of the show, we're going to be talking about one of my all-time favorite comic books in our trade and policy, and this is The Sandman, written by Neil Gaiman, and we're going to be talking about volume number one, uh, Preludes and Nocturnes. Um, And this is the eight issues, well, the first eight issues of the DC comic series that introduced The Sandman to the world, and... What you get here is very different from what comes later in the series. And the reason I picked this is because originally I had picked DC versus Vampires as my trade and policy, but it's not actually available in trade format yet. And all of the issues that would, you know, compile into a trade are still like three ninety nine each. And I was like, I'm not willing or willing to make people spend that much for a trade policy. Uh, so I picked Sandman because volume one was only like five ninety nine on uh, Comixology, a.k.a. the Kindle Marketplace, a.k.a. Amazon.com <laughs> Digital Comics. Um, this is also a book I've bought m- multiple times over the years in physical form or digitally. Uh, so I had no issues just like picking it up off my shelf, but Again, what we get here is very horror-based with, like, leaning into fantasy. But where Sandman goes as you progress through the story is much more just, like, big fantasy. Um, It kind of loses that horror edge. So it's kind of weird going back to the beginning because I do think this is... I don't want to say the weakest of the Sandman books... Because everything that you read in here does set up everything else that comes later on in the series and what comes in some of the spinoff books, because there's been a ton of spinoffs from the actual Sandman property. Um, But it all has its root here. So I've thought and talked about Sandman a lot over the years. So I kind of just want to throw it out to you guys and get your thoughts on this Um, because what we have here is a group of wealthy elites compose a trap that they think is actually going to capture death so they have the ability to live forever you know just reaping the words of being old rich white dudes but actually what happens is they wind up catching her younger brother dream Uh, and then dream winds up escaping and then has to go on a quest to reclaim his items of power to reclaim his his throne and like in the dreaming um guys 
tell me about Sandman. What do you think? It's chock full of boobs. I mean, there, there are some boobs. There's some boobs. You see some boobs. I, w- some boobs. I wouldn't say it's chock full of, of boobs. There are also boobs that, like, horrific things yeah, are going on, so they're not like, oh, hey, oh, yeah, yeah. look at these boobs. They're not titillizing. So this was, like I kind of set up at the front of the show, this was originally a DC Comics book, and this alongside <laughs> Swamp Thing were the books that made DC actually start the Vertigo imprint because Mm -hmm. they were removing it from the DC universe proper and kind of shifting it to that more mature imprint that would kind of carry that weight of like, hey, these aren't for everybody. Because I have, well, not anymore, but I had issues of Swamp Thing that technically would be considered Vertigo now that were very, uh, whatever Paul said, Peek of boobs or chock full of boobs, Um, but I was able to buy them at the comic book store because it was a a DC comic. Like Mm -hmm. my aunt bought me a Swamp Thing comic book, just turned out to be very violent and uh, some nudity in it. Uh, Since this book has come out, Vertigo has gone away, and then they've re-rolled everything back into DC Comics, but now, like you said up at the front, John, they have Black Label, which is kind of just their new Vertigo imprint. So the more things change, the more they say the same, I guess. Yeah. Um, the one thing I have to say about this book is the book, I love the layout of the book, but the art style at the time was probably like, whoa, look at this book, where now you kind of look at it and you're like, oh, I can see what... I know what they were doing. It's kind of a nice time capsule for the 80s of doing a dark prestige book. Um, And I do enjoy the art, but it's a lot more of the panel layout that I love more um, than the art. Um, Even just like, like this... This page with the the sleep of the just like page, like I just love how that's that's laid out. Rereading this book, which I haven't read the first volume of this for, oh man, I would say close to twenty years. Like, pro- Chris probably gave this to me when we were twenty. I was twenty twenty one. I'm forty now. Um, so that was probably the last time I read this book, but two, two years ago when the Sandman audio book came out or the audio play or whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. I listened to probably, I forget how many hours it is, but I listened to maybe half of it. And I think it's like, I want to say it's like 19 hours long of an audio play. So I maybe listened to eight hours of it. So rereading this book, the the audio thing is basically they took the comic book and they're just performing it with different voice actors. <laughs> so it seemed super fresh in my head because I had just even a year and a year ago had listened to it. But what was really nice is I was reading it with the voice actors in my head, so I had like a voice for the dreaming. Um, a voice for dream and everything. It just, it really, it really kind of resonated and was fun. But at the same time, I was like, 
I just heard this. Like I'm like reading it, and I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, yeah. Some of those things I was skip like, hey, I, I kind of know this, but I can skip. I can. I'll just skim it. Um, but it is good. It is good. Like I do kind of like that horror edge to it, but I also really enjoy the fantasy. Um, I think I've read almost all of the original run. I th- I think I might have read it all, but again, it's so. It's so far back. It's probably somewhere around fifteen years ago where I've I've read I've read all of it or finished all of it. There's definitely those things that like the books I really remember are the the Midsummer Dream one, the big dinner where like Thor shows up. Um, there's like those different things that I recall out of out of the series that I'm like, oh yeah, that was really great. Um, but I do it's, – it's a fantastic series and it is kind of fun to – again, like the things I remember it out of the Sandman are the mm-hmm. fantasy stuff and this is the more darker stuff. And I mean like you don't see it in this volume but the next volume is the Corinthian which is another yeah. dark horror story. And after that volume two is rarely – or really where the story – turns around to be kind of kind of becomes more of just like that big open fantasy and that's where i really started to enjoy the book because i do like this one but it's been again decades of reading this and going back and pouring over and like reading stuff about the sandman and interviews with neil gaiman that i've really come to appreciate this more and more and that's really what's got me kind of amped up for when we do wind up getting the Netflix adaptation of it because I'm just curious to see that new take on it especially because even though the book is called Sandman and it's about Morpheus the Lord of the Dream he's such a bystander and a side character in his own story and I think that might put some people off but it's just kind of so fitting for you know the prince of stories to just be in the story he's not leading it he's not yeah. driving it and one of my favorite things i know i've mentioned before on the show is someone had approached neil gaiman and was like hey if you could sum up sandman in you know one line just like that elevator pitch what would it be and it's i'm paraphrasing because i can't remember the exact quote but it's basically dream of the endless is presented with a choice change or die and he makes his decision and that's really the guiding principle for this entire book and you really see those seeds planted here just in this first volume and these eight issues touch on so many different corners of the dc universe that is kind of like comic book whiplash because he's hanging out with john constantine in one and then like in the next one it's like um the Martian Manhunter is like appearing. Like it's so all over the place, but that was kind of like the fun of reading this that first time. And then, I mean, you also got like Scott free and you have, um, Etrigan, Etrigan, Etrigan the demon, but you have the villain, um, the just Dr. Destiny that he's like, Oh yeah, he, he, he had my dreamstone. Like he took that and, and made it, work that this guy would be so crazy and he's like and then the moment between those two after he's done these horrible things 
with the stone is like it's you know dream has a moment it's like it's not your fault this wasn't meant to be in your hands you weren't supposed to have something like this so of course it would drive you crazy um but i'm not gonna totally punish you but i'm gonna give you a a somewhat compassionate i don't want to say torture but penance um where he doesn't do that for the son of the the guy who captured him and what i think is also really nice is that you launched this series called the sandman and that first issue is not about him at all. It's about no. the... But know, again, so. like he's just he's the bystander in his own story. Uh, For 70 years, he doesn't say a word. Yeah. Then he, then like his first word is like, no. no. Uh, yeah, and it's, it's, it's interesting when you think about where this book goes and everything, that it starts with an issue. The first issue is nothing to do... Like, it's the what happens to the world without him in it. And these people who have caused him to 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 be cap, you know, to, that capture him. It's it's really it's really interesting to s- you don't see that anymore. You don't launch a title, you don't wa- launch the X Men, and then show what the like the whole world is doing without these superheroes to protect them. You know, like it's just not. Oh, Paul's stroking his beard. He's. Well, because I'm thinking about all the like horror books that you have enough have us read every once, uh, you know, uh, and I think about, oh, okay, now that we read the first issue, now I know what the like the last page finally brings together what the book is actually going to be about. You know what I mean? Like, now they take two issues to do it, right? It seems yeah. right because it's the dead die are these issues, the issues themselves are longer. Because it's eight issues, they're two hundred and fifty some odd pages. So this is back in the day when there was not just twenty pages of story; there's twenty five pages of story. And uh, and every issue, I'm like, wait, was that? We we get to the title page, and I'm like, that was only one issue. So I don't even know where the issues really start and stop here. Uh, reading in trade and reading it digitally with the guided view does not help at all with that because it's like you're just panel to panel to panel. So I am not even enjoying the page layouts like John, you were talking about. Oh, I, I, like, I have it set so once I finish a page, it mm-hmm. pans out and shows me the whole page. Right. But I'm already past that page. So, so now I'm moving. Uh, I do remember the first time I read this, I think i enjoyed it well the very first time i read it i think i got like a couple pages in i had the graphic novel in paperback like this would have been over 20 years ago and i'm like nope not for me and then it took me another time to actually sit down and read it and then i read it and i'm like oh this is very horror i don't think it's for me and chris is like well it gets you know after the next trade like, the next straight's horror, but then it gets into fantasy. And then, like, I read the issue about the cats, like, all of a sudden, the one-shot issue of the cats, like, being like, oh, yeah, we used to be the, the, the keepers of the stories and everything, and we used to run the world, and one day we might do so again. And I'm like, oh, that's the kind of fantasy that I'm 
waiting for, then this isn't for me. <laughs> like, I just, I don't know. I, I bounced off of it once, kind of bounced off it again. This is my third t- time reading now Sandman. And I don't know. I, I The art, everybody's kind of amorphous. They're, they're uh, you know, body shapes and everything constantly are changing. Like, it's... I'm, you know, it gives it an offsetting vibe, and everything like that. Um, and everything should be amorphous and kind of like constantly changing because dreams. So I understand why. It's just, I don't know. I had a hard time finding my groove with the story and that's, enjoy actually finding enjoyment in it. That's okay because the first seven issues of this are all set up for the the next, like, 68 of the series. Mm-hmm. Like, this is very much, again, horror and set up. And it's not until, I feel like, the end of this one where you get to actually see who Dream is as a character. And mm-hmm. that's in the Dream and Death, like, Sound of Her Wings, like, issue number eight. Mm-hmm. And I think that's much more in line with everything else that you get from later issues and stories of the Sandman where it's you know the perky goth girl who's his big sister who's death beating her like the little brother with a loaf of bread while they're feeding pigeons in the park like Mm -hmm. that's much more representative of Sandman than I think the first seven issues of this are because that's where the story actually has a moment to stop pause and breathe Mm -hmm. Because um, everything else is kind of like, go, go, go. Cat Dennings does the voice of death in the... I can see that, yeah. She's good. It fits, because she's death, but she's kind of up, she's upbeat and kind of has a peppy voice. Mm-hmm. Um, I I looked in the front, too, because, Paul, you were just talking about like when you were reading it. Um, my printing of this trade paperback is from 1995, and it has a little blurb in the top cover here. For free inside a CD-ROM, <laughs> wow! Uh, with over 400 pages of DC Comics best-selling books, and then in the back of this, it actually has uh, sneak peeks at the Lucifer book, Ooh. which you know viewers might know. Yeah, Mike, the Mike, Mike Carey. Uh, viewers might know from like I think it was on the CW, the CW Lucifer show. And then uh, Netflix. As, I think it was Fox. And then was it, it Fox? Netflix. Netflix. I don't as remember. well as uh, The Books of Magic, which is kind of Harry Potter before Harry Potter was a thing. Uh, also by Neil Gaiman. Um, I absolutely love this book. And I'm glad that it's kind of had new life with something like the Audible audio drama and then the upcoming Netflix series. Because it seems like Netflix does want to do like a worthwhile adaptation of it. Um, I, I just love Sandman and all that stuff coming up, coming out just gave me an excuse to bring this book to the table to kind of have to sit you guys down to talk more about Sandman, which again, one of my all time favorite books that I kind of just don't get to talk about anymore because it's come out so long ago now that it's not, going to be in the pop culture zeitgeist unless there's something like the Netflix show you know like it's just one of those books that when you go to a comic book store and you're like hey 
what comic book should I read? It's going to be there with stuff like Watchmen or, you know, Dark Knight Returns. Like, it's required comic book reading, but I don't think it's something that people are just going to be picking up because they see it on a bookshelf somewhere. Can Paul and I talk, talk to you about our more favorite character that's less in the zeitgeist, Starman? Yeah. Because I don't think you, they've you, reprinted those in a long time. I think well, Paul's, the the, Paul's Omnibi, yeah. uh, how many years ago did those come out? Yeah. You were still in the apartment. Just before. Yeah. They were before, so it's more than 11 years because I just celebrated my 11th anniversary of uh, buying this house yeah. this week. So, uh, Yeah. I understand why Sandman is cool. Like, I get it. It's just not for like. There's the the dialogue is a lot of times overly wrought too. With the I'm the endless like. There's many names that I go by, and like most of the names I don't have any context for. Especially when he meets Martian Manhunter, and he's like, "I am known as this. I'm, I'm, I'm giant a, flaming head god. Let's make a high." And I'm like, "All right, man." <laughs> like. My favorite part is that is when uh, him and Scott uh, free go to eat some Oreos at the very end. I'm like, yes, do that. Can we see them eating Oreos? Oh, no. Nope. Guess not. I think that's kind of the fun of this book. I can see where, Paul, I can 100% see where you're coming from. I'm not trying to yeah. downplay it. But I think that's something of the fun of that, mm-hmm. of this book, are those moments where... Dream ha- has those things, or even when he, like, he leaves hell, and like Lucifer's like, I hate that guy. One day I'm gonna get him. It's not today, but I'm gonna. Ugh. Um, and I and Michael Sheen. It, Michael it, Sheen did the voice of Lucifer in the audiobook. Nice. And Paul, to your point. In issue number eight, there's like three pages of Dream just talking himself up and like, woe is yeah. me, bullshit. And then it's finally just mm-hmm. Death being like, have you finished? Like, are you done? Like, you yeah. could have just called for help. And then Morpheus is being like, oh, I didn't want to bother you. It's, he's definitely the youngest, like, of the Endless, and he's just kind of that edgelord character, like, he wants to bask in his loneliness. Like, I think what you're reading as, like, a character flaw is basically in, who he is. In, like, in maturity of the god. Same, mm-hmm. The same thing that you don't like about characters like Damien or, like, Superboy Prime, where, yes, mm-hmm. that that is who this character is. And you're disliking him for that reason is... It's eliciting the proper response. Like, that's how you should feel about him, because you're watching him set himself up for his own downfall with this behavior. And it's a a lesson that he has to learn the hard way. And when he's confronted with it, he just becomes resigned to the fact that, like, yeah, I've made all the wrong decisions my entire immortal life, and now I have to to bear the consequences for it. Uh, and also like the thing about this book and is this is him getting his shit back. Like he's captured, 
his helmet stolen, his bag of sand, and this his gem that he's put pieces of himself into that without them he's at a weakened state. So he has to go get them. He has to go find John Constantine to help him find his bag of sand. He goes up against demons and the devil to get his helmet back. And then he goes and has to get his stone back from a crazed Justice League villain who is tearing, like, manipulating people in a diner. Um, And it's actually interesting with, like, the news coverage of the things. Mm -hmm. Like, it's an interesting way to do that story. And if you think about it, it's... We've seen things like that since then, but this is kind of the Mm -hmm. first time in a comic book that something like that has happened. So it's interesting. Because it doesn't split away from the action, unlike, what was it, Watchmen? Where mm-hmm. they have they, they go into the, with the nine-panel grid, the actual television show of yeah. you know, people talking and the president being on TV. Or is that, uh, well, it's both Watchmen and also Dark Knight Returns, right? With uh, President uh, Cowboy. Yeah, yeah Reagan's in, yeah, Reagan's right. actually in all of those books, <laughs> like including Sandman. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's it's just interesting how they kind of how how they do that, and it's you know, it's a story about this of him getting his power, his items back, and you're like a little more horror esque, and you're like, oh yeah, that's this guy's cool, and then you have that episode where he is like kind or that issue where he is kind of whiny. And his sister's like, get over it. Like, you could have done anything to do. You sat there and pouted for 70 years. And now you have to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. Or let everything fall away. Um, Yeah, it's it's not for everybody. Especially, like, like Chris said, like... It's a little more horror, and then it finds its way and evolves as a comic book. But I think it's worth it's worth setting down, sitting down, and finding your way through Sandman. We had an episode years ago where we all discussed our favorite Sandmans. Chris did Neil Gaiman. I did uh, Sandman Mystery Theater, and Paul talked about the. J, you know the Justice Society. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you see, you see the Wesley Dodds uh, yeah. Sandman in this book too. Um, and it's just interesting that all three of us have different favorite versions of of Sandman. Um, I do enjoy this. I do enjoy Neil Gaiman's Sandman. I'm looking forward to the show. When that audio, the Audible book came out, I I I got it. You know, I you get a free book every month. I paid my $15 for my subscription, and then I got the $30 thing for, for free, you know? What? Well, talking about chances, what what chance do we have actually of seeing Martian, uh, Martian Manhunter and Scott Freed in this, that series? Like, you, because you could just have the uh, Dream show up at the diner knowing that somebody's using his, yeah, like, Ruby. You don't need that whole sequence of the of doc, dr d or john d you're like killing a woman in cold blood for no reason um 
which was another hard bounce for me. I'm like, oh, so this is this is that book. Like the villains are very villainous. They're so villainous they're just gonna wantonly kill people. Uh, you could just have them show up at that diner. Yeah, I. Based off of what we've seen in the trailer, I don't know how far like the first season's going to go. Um, because you definitely see Dream locked away. And it seems like instead of John Constantine, they're using Joanna Constantine, who is a character that does appear in later issues of The Sandman. Um, but I, I definitely don't think we're going to be getting like, those big, big name crossovers mm-hmm. like... Yeah, I think because this is also Netflix and it doesn't have anything with Warner Brothers. HBO. But I will say, like, Scott Free and Martian Manhunter were in the audiobook. Interesting. But like you said, like, those were kind of just, like, straight up. I mean, they're just reading. It's a bunch of, it's it's people just reading the book to you. And as much as I like those DC characters being in this book, like later on at the end of the series, like when they actually have the the funeral for Morpheus, basically you're seeing DC characters pop up because they're attending the wake in their dreams. Um, we're not going to have moments like that. And I think that's okay because I think the story stands well enough on its own that it doesn't need that. But I understand it from a comic book publishing standpoint in the 80s. Like, yes, we're part of the DC Universe. We can play in this sandbox. Mm-hmm. Um, why wouldn't we use these characters? And then when they do make that jump to the Vertigo stuff and those characters don't appear in the book anymore, it, it's fine. Like, the book doesn't suffer from it all. Like, yeah, they still talk about, like, Wesley Dawes... Um, and then uh, Lita Hall, who's, like, the mother of, uh, like, Dr. Fate. Like, she's a big character in the book later on in the series. Um, what are, what's the chances of us getting Etrigan? Um, I would I put that pretty that's high. Probably, be- versus... probably much better than, like, John Jones or, like... <laughs> well, Anything from like Arkham. And that new series, too, you don't get John Constantine, you get Joanna Constantine. So I think they are. I'm trying to look through because they have most of the cast listed, and I don't see anybody for those characters, but you never know. They could. It'd be interesting, they could pop up. There are actors who don't have characters with them, so. But it, and then it also does bear mentioning too that in the cast they do have the Corinthian other characters appearing that aren't in this first volume like the Corinthian but then also like um, desire despair like destiny like they're not in this first volume at all like you don't see them until the second volume of the story anyways so that's kind of the fun of that other multimedia take on it where they can kind of pick and choose so it doesn't have to be what you read off the page. Like as long as it's got the core of the story and they get that, that vision, I'm okay with whatever they do. Like bring Uh, it on. Do you think they can make the, the three that are one, the, the witches, the Mm -hmm. boy on boil toy on trouble, witches. uh, do they think they can make the one look like Sabrina 
as much as they um, did in the comic book. I would or do you think they I would love that, especially if they get uh Kieran Shipka to portray the maiden. Um especially because those characters again do come back in a big way, like later on and they're partially responsible for for Dream's downfall. Like everything here does come back and I think that's what the beauty of the Sandman comic is like Neil Gaiman's a master of storytelling and I I don't think this is a story that could be told by anybody else that would have as much weight remain relevant you know here we are over 30 years later uh, and still having spin-off books coming out of it because every couple of years like DC circles back and they're like hey New Dreaming Book, new, like, House of Whispers, yeah. you know, new, like, Tim Hunter, Books of Magic, like, all, all that spins out of Sandman. Is this the first time we see the House of Mystery? Or is this a reference? So that's a, a reference, because House of Mystery was, a, was another book. It was a book series. It was a book before this, though? Okay. Yes, but then Neil Gaiman, like, brought it back with, like, the House of Mystery and, like, the House of Secrets, because those were, like, two, like, anthology books. So Cain and Abel appearing in this was kind of an homage to those earlier yeah. comics okay. here, with the Cain uh, and Abel appearing. Which Cain and Abel, like, love seeing them. Like, back during my rabid comic book buying days, I had plush versions of Gregory and Goldie, because... That was stuff that was available to buy, like the two uh, gargoyles that Kate and Abel have. Like, I had a lot of Sandman shit that I let go because I collect clutter and I move every so often. So it's easier just to let it go and sell it than it is to like box it up and move it. But mm-hmm. man, I love me some Sandman stuff. One of the questions that I have while reading, I'm trying to think if there was anything else. No, I, I guess that's it. I have a Sandman expert at my on the group message at any time. I, you know what? I am I am ready at any at any point. You you can text me, Paul, and I'm always willing to talk about some Sandman stuff. Yeah. And listeners, if you want to talk about some Sandman stuff, yeah, let us know. Reach out. Email us over at bagboardcast at gmail dot com or just comment on any of the social media posts for this episode. Let us know your favorite Sandman moments. Is it in this book? Is it in one of the other ones is Paul missing out by not continuing to read on the story. Let How many more issues do I have to read? It's a seventy-five I... issue series plus uh, multiple no not multiple spin-offs. spinoffs. Some of the spinoffs are really good. Like um, there's one later on. It's called the Dead Boy Detectives because one of the books uh, focuses on a bunch of ghosts, just kind of like being let back out into life. And there's two boys that lived in like a like Catholic school that are trying to solve the like mystery of their own murders. That book was written by like Ed Brubaker. There's some good stuff spinning out of Sandman. <laughs> Recommended. And there's spinoff episodes of uh, the Bagden Boardcast if you want to listen to those. But are there but, any that talk about barbecue? Oh yeah. Oh uh, there is. For this summer. We we just uh, recently put out a episode. It's the Bagden Boardcast Barbecue Boys. Uh, episode one, starting to smoke, uh, or start to smoke, or start to smoke. I don't know. I, I forgot what I called it already. Uh, I look forward to episode two coming up soon. Uh, 
from us. Uh, we also, you know, intermittently have the movie fix and intermittently have uh, word books with friends. So, you know, maybe maybe the Bagnum Board Boys is our summertime thing. Then maybe when we get back to school, you know, for fall, we do the uh, word books with friends. And then summer or uh, the springtime, we got the, the movie fix. I don't know. I'm just... Grasping at straws. I need another shutdown where I don't have to go to work and I can just sit around and read Harry Potter and talk about it with one of my friends <laughs> yeah. for like a week straight. Because man, that was that was good times. Was good. I mean, not not good times, but uh, I like, we made the best of those times. He <laughs> did. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It got us back to recording was the worst weekly. Of times. That's true. Oops. 